And now the reading from the epistle from 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Hear now the reading of the gospel from Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan, as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert for forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You have heard our marvelous musicians sing the psalm today. Because my sermon is based on the psalm, I'm going to read it to you. From Psalm 25, the first ten verses. To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. In you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame, but they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. Now this morning, I have a couple of stories for people who are history buffs and, and perhaps problem solvers, people who find problems and interesting, interesting things. First, I want to talk about St. Petersburg. Yes, the lovely, beautiful, well-planned city in Russia. St. Petersburg was founded to be the capital city, so it was a planned city from the very beginning. The plans were made and construction of the roadways began, and as the construction of the roadways began, a problem came up. There were huge boulders in the way of where many of the streets were supposed to be. And I don't mean just rocks, I mean huge boulders. Now, if you've ever been in old Savannah, you know Savannah is a planned city. Some of the streets in the old city are set out on very definite grids. And moving a street or a park in Savannah would ruin the design. And the same was true for St. Petersburg. The, the 
the boulders had to go so that the plans could be worked out. There was one particular rock that was gargantuan. It was massive. It was huge. It was bigger, far bigger than any of the other rocks that they had to meet, had to move. And so the construction people took bids on moving this rock and the bids were astronomical for the day. Now keep in mind, this was in the early 1700s. There were no huge machines to move this rock. There were no modern blasting materials to break it up so they could cart the pieces off. There was one bid though that was significantly lower than all of the rest of the bids and it came from a peasant. All of the professional people who were working to build this planned city didn't believe that a peasant would be able to do anything like that, but they thought, why not? If he fails, we haven't lost anything. We haven't paid him anything. We're not going to pay him until he's finished. So they let the peasant come, and the peasant showed up on the day of work with an entire group of peasants and with a number of logs and a number of shovels. And the professionals laughed literally laughed at them, what are you going to do? Use the logs to build some sort of rudimentary scaffolding and try to get up on top of the, the rock and beat it with shovels? That's not going to work. The shovels aren't going to do anything. And the peasants said no. And well, what are you, are you going to dig trenches and put the logs in the trenches and then try to pull the rock over the logs? You don't have any way to pull the rock. There aren't enough of you. I don't care if it's a large group of strong, sturdy peasants. There aren't enough of you to move this rock. And the peasants said, no, no, we've got it. So what do you think they were going to do to move that rock? Let's just leave that thought sitting there for a minute. You know, there was a professor at a law school up in the north that used to start his freshman class by writing a problem, problem on the board and asking for solutions. The discussion of the freshman law students would often be hot and heavy as they tried to propose solutions for this problem written on the board. One year, the professor wrote two numbers. He wrote a five, it was a little bit of a space, and then a two. And he asked the law students, so, you know, what's, the, what's the solution? Solve the problem. And the law students argued. Some said that it had to be a multiplication problem. Five times two is 10. Some said it was a subtraction problem. Five minus two is three. Some said it was addition. Five plus two is seven. And every time they proposed a solution, the professor shook his head. No. They finally gave up. They could not figure out what the answer to this problem was. So the professor went to the board and drew a slash between the two numbers, creating a fraction, five over two. Five over two equals 2.5. No one in that class was right because no one knew what the problem was. The point of the exercise was to teach the law students to first identify the problem and then try to solve it. The psalmist who wrote the psalm that we've shared today had a problem. He had enemies surrounding him, treacherous enemies, enemies who intended to do him harm. In fact, one translation of scripture, the enemies are described as wantonly treacherous. Not just treacherous, but worse than that. Not only were they treacherous, but they were also unpredictable. So the possibility of harm was greatly increased. The enemies of this psalmist were like the rock in the first story I've shared with you. 
huge, large, and unmovable. There just didn't seem to be any way out of the trouble, any way around the problem, any way to get past it. And the psalmist is crying out to God, Here I am. I'm in trouble, God. I have enemies who are out to hurt me. Do something. And then the psalmist identifies the true nature of the problem. Because you see, the true nature of the problem was not the enemies. The enemies were the consequences of the problem. The problem was the lifestyle of the psalmist. And the psalmist admits that when he asked the Lord God to teach him the Lord's paths and the Lord's truth. The psalmist admits that he doesn't know the right path, he doesn't know the truth, that he needs God to lead him and, and show him that way. So once the true nature of the problem has been identified, the right solution can be found. If the true nature of the problem is the choices that the psalmist has made, then the only proper solution is to cast himself on the grace of God and ask for forgiveness. The psalmist does this by asking God to first remember God's own steadfast love. The word steadfast can also mean covenant. The psalmist is asking God to remember the covenants he's made with the people. The psalmist appeals to the covenant love of God. God's covenant love has been demonstrated through the creation of several covenants with which the psalmist would have been aware. First would have been the covenant with Noah, the, the covenant in Genesis that we read about today. The, the covenant demonstrated by a rainbow in the clouds that God would never destroy the earth with a flood again. And there was also the covenant with Abraham, the covenant to make Abraham the father of a great nation if he would trust God enough to leave his homeland and go where God sent him. The covenant with the Israelites in Exodus chapter 20, I will be your God and you will be my people. And there have been covenants since the psalmist wrote this psalm, the covenant in Jeremiah 31, where God promises to write his law on the hearts and the minds of the people so that he can truly be their God and that they can be his people. And then the psalmist asks God to forget his transgressions, to forget his sins. He does this counting on God's faithfulness to keep his promises. And then the psalmist acknowledges that God has been right all along, that his ways are always right, and his paths are steadfast and true. Now here's the truth for today. As we lead into the season of Lent, when we are called to be in a spirit of penitence and reflection, a spirit of asking God to show us what needs to change in our lives so that we are a better follower, a stronger disciple. Here's the truth for today. Every one of us, every one of us has the same problem the psalmist had. We have all strayed from the ways of the righteousness. We have the righteousness of God. We have all made wrong choices. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin in our lives is like that rock in the first story. Huge, immovable, unbreakable, something we can't deal with by ourselves. We all have one truly great and strong enemy. 
one enemy that will bring us down if we don't recognize the danger and ask for help. That enemy is found when we look in the mirror because that enemy is known as self. And the desire to put self first, the desire to think that we can make all of the right choices, the desire to live our lives without turning to God to lead us on his paths of righteousness. We have to do what the psalmist did. We have to admit that the problem lies with us. For the psalmist, he admitted that he didn't walk God's paths and it got him into trouble. We need to admit to the same thing, every single one of us. Once our problem is brought out into the open, once our problem of self and, and wanting to be in charge, wanting to be in control, wanting to be over ourselves instead of allowing God to hold that position, once we know that problem, we know the solution, and it's to ask for forgiveness, trusting in the covenant love of God, and then to ask for God's guidance. And we have an expression of the covenant love of God that the psalmist didn't have because we have the sacrifice of Christ, the death of God's own son as a sign of God's covenant love. The psalmist knew that his only hope was in God. As we begin this season of Lent, we're reminded that our only hope is the same. Our only hope lies not in our strength, not in our goodness, not in our abilities, but in the steadfast covenant love of God as demonstrated through his Son, Jesus Christ. We started with a story about a rock in St. Petersburg. How do you think those peasants moved that rock? They took the logs that they brought, leaned them against the rock so that the rock would not move. They dug a huge hole, and then they moved the logs, and the rock did all the work as it rolled into the hole. A little bit of dirt on top of the rock, rock was gone, problem was solved. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a rock that we need to turn to every single day of our lives, the rock that is higher than I, the rock of Jesus Christ. If we will turn to him and ask him to show us what needs to change in our hearts and in our lives so that he is truly Lord of our lives and not self, then we will move in the right direction during this period of Lent. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.